0: It's just, you've got mustard on your, I think mustard there, right there. Hey guys, Pete here. I've got a bonus episode for you this week, getting into the reasons why the Breaking Bad pilot still rules. This will also be available on my YouTube channel with moving pictures, if you're into that sort of thing. And you can find a link for that in the description. Hope you enjoy it you've just turned 50 years old you found out you have stage 3 lung cancer even though you've never smoked and best case scenario with chemo you might live for a couple more years You take a look around and realize that life has passed you by. Your day job doesn't earn you the respect you think you deserve or enough money to pay your bills. And your second job is even worse. And in a desperate attempt to leave something behind for your family after you inevitably succumb to your cancer, you turn to your lifelong passion for chemistry and become a drug kingpin. As absurd as that last part sounds, it turns out to be the perfect setup for one of the greatest TV pilots of all time. As an introduction to something completely new, every pilot episode for a television series has a lot of work to do. It has to deliver the show's premise, introduce the main characters, and build out their world. In many cases, before it gets made, the script needs to convince studio executives that it can draw in an audience and get them to invest in producing a whole season. When it gets in front of viewers, it needs to grab their attention and leave them wanting more. The Breaking Bad pilot had even more work to do because it needed to introduce a main character who comes off pathetic enough to find him in the situation I mentioned at the beginning, but at the same time competent enough to pull off the whole kingpin part. A character whose story we could buy into, and a guy we could root for even if he started to do some questionable things. With hindsight, it's easy to see how the transformation of Walter White turned out to be such a compelling story. But the idea was a tough sell in 2007. The president of AMC at the time, Charlie Collier, explained the situation to TV Guide like this. You're asking really smart people to part with tens of millions of dollars prior to spending many millions more in marketing it. You had to explain that you wanted to bet on a series where a chemistry teacher who almost won the Nobel Prize cooks meth with a former student. It was very much placing bets that all look easy in the rear view, but were really big at the time and not obvious. Vince Gilligan had his work cut out for him. This was his first showrunner gig, but he wasn't new to the television industry. He spent seven years as a writer on the wildly popular and influential X-Files, and even had a co-creator credit for its mostly forgettable spin-off series, The Lone Gunman. He's been vocal about how much he learned while working under the X-Files creator Chris Carter, with an emphasis on how he learned to be a producer and a showrunner, and to empower the people he worked with to give them as much of an investment in the show as possible. In 2017, he told the Huffington Post, If you expect your crew people, the folks around you, to have the same investment in the show as you do, if they feel the same ownership as you do, that can lead to great things. And by all reports, he incorporated this into his approach to running a TV show, and the positive effect it's had is easy to see. His time at the X-Files directly impacted Breaking Bad's development in several other ways. First and foremost, it's where he crossed paths with Brian Cranston, who was the guest star in the Season 6 episode, Drive, that Gilligan wrote. Cranston made an impression to the extent that he fought to give him the role of Walter White, even when the studio executives were concerned because the world knew him as the affable father on Malcolm in the Middle. Having that earlier performance as an example of his range was enough to land him the role, and while it's fun to imagine what a Breaking Bad would have been like with some of the other actors they considered for the role such as Matthew Broderick or John Cusack, Cranston delivered the performance of a lifetime creating one of the most compelling characters in TV history. There really is no Breaking Bad without that performance, and that's probably never more apparent than it is in the pilot episode. Several other Breaking Bad cast members appeared on The X-Files including Aaron Paul, who would play his ex-student and future partner in crime Jesse Pinkman, Dean Norris who played his hyper masculine brother-in-law Hank, and Michael Seamus Wiles who played his boss at the DEA, Raymond Cruz who was unforgettable as Tuco, Danny Trejo who would lose his head as Tortuga, and Michael Bowen who played Walt's final foe, Uncle Jack. Beyond the performances, the Breaking Bad pilot excels in both its writing and its cinematography, and both of those things were influenced by Gilligan's early career. The X-Files was a show that was ahead of the curve in the shift towards cinematic TV, and HDTV's becoming ubiquitous created the perfect environment for the Breaking Bad crew to take this to the next level. From its opening sequence, it's clear that Breaking Bad intends to push the boundaries on what could be done in a medium that had been limited. Michael Slovis, who left his own mark on the series after he became the director of photography in Season 2, described how things came together for the pilot in a 2013 interview with Forbes. A young filmmaker wanted to shoot in the style of spaghetti westerns. He wanted it wide, and he was going to do that no matter what was going on in the world of hardware. However, it just so happened that during the last seven years, widescreen televisions became affordable, and HD became the norm. Now people could see what we were doing, and we didn't have to tell stories in the old style of close-up, close-up. The inclusion of those wide shots helped to define the overall visual language of the series. The backdrop, the world where the story takes place, is treated as its own character. Albuquerque and the desert that surrounds it are so much a part of Breaking Bad style, it's almost hard to believe that it wasn't Gilligan's first choice, and that he didn't have any connection to the city before he decided to film there. Based on a meeting he had with a real DE agent that lived there, he had set the story in Riverside, California, when he wrote the original pilot script. In one of the many roadblocks they ran into that turned out to be Blessings in Disguise, it turned out they couldn't afford to shoot in California. The producers learned of a tax credit that was being offered in New Mexico and tried to push to take advantage of that because it was one of the only places where they could afford to make it. Years later, Gilligan would tell TV Guide how important this turned out to be. New Mexico is far better than any other state could have been for Breaking Bad because it allowed our show to become a contemporary western, which is not what I was thinking at the time. The look of Albuquerque with the amazing endless skies with the big puffy cumulus clouds and the Sandia Mountains to the east. Just the geography of the area, the landscape was so cinematic that it actually changed my thinking and changed the way we shot the show. It's somewhat surprising that Gilligan only had two previous directing credits for X-Files episodes considering how good the pilot actually is. Part of that can be credited to his decision to hire his friend John Toll to be the Director of Photography. Toll had won Best Cinematography Oscars in back-to-back years for Legends of the Fall and Braveheart, and his attaching himself to the project in his first job in TV helped to ease concerns about Gilligan's lack of experience. Vince took the opportunity and ran with it, and established some of the techniques that would go on to define the show's visual style. Beyond that focus on wide shots, the two that stand out are the object POV and the process-heavy montage. Toward the end of the episode, we watch Walt look into the dryer with the camera positioned inside. It's strange and it's cool, and the fact that he's drying the money brings some pretty obvious things to mind. First you think about dirty money, and then the fact that drug money needs to be laundered in order to spend it. Something that Walt hasn't yet planned for, and that reinforces just how out of his element he is. But the shot itself, and the many others like it we see throughout the series, serves a purpose. Directors use shots from the character's point of view to heighten the viewer's connection to what the character's experiencing, and at times make it feel as though we could influence what's happening. Breaking Bad flips this on its head and shows us the characters from the point of view of inanimate objects. Disconnecting us from the character's experience provides us with the sense that we can't do anything about what is happening to them. The pilot also delivers the series' first montage as Walt and Jesse work through their first cook. Generally, montages are a great way to condense the passing of time, but they can also explain where characters are emotionally as we watch what they're doing on screen. This not only helps us understand the characters without a lot of extra dialogue, but it also trains us to pay attention to the details in other scenes. Since the show is setting out to do something that isn't common on TV, showing us a character change over the long arc of the story, it needs to teach us to pay attention to things that might be crucial to understand where the story is going. This first montage expresses that even though Walt may have let himself go, and resigned himself to living a life he doesn't find satisfying, his passion and determination return while he cooks. This- this is art, Mr. White! Actually, it's just basic chemistry, but thank you, Jesse. I'm glad it's acceptable. Acceptable. At one point during the filming of the pilot, Vince Gilligan came down with the flu and got so sick he had to leave the set. This gave John Toll the opportunity to go out and shoot additional footage of New Mexico that they were able to use throughout the first season to immerse viewers in that setting. One of the most memorable shots of the first episode, Walt's khakis flying through the air, was filmed while the director was recovering in his hotel room. It was another potential problem that turned out to work in the pilot's favor by giving it one of the most memorable opening sequences of all time. In the first 23 seconds, we go from peaceful shots of the desert landscape to an RV barreling down a dirt road, with the floating pants serving as a bridge connecting the two together. Going back to rewatch the pilot, it's almost hard to remember how effective this opening was, because by now you know who Walter White is. But the first time you see it, you have no idea what's happening. This is elevated by the choice to start the episode in medias res, which is Latin and means into the middle of things, or in the midst of things. This type of opening starts in the midst of an important part of the story that is presented out of order. You won't truly understand what's happening until the details are filled in and you see what led to the characters being where they are. Breaking Bad uses these cold opens or pre-credit teasers as a way to hook viewers in, and plant lingering questions that you want the answers to. And in the pilot episode in particular, they do that visually. The question that it's asking is, who is this main character? The khaki pants are such a perfect way to bring us to that question. It's something that we all recognize, the sort of go-to choice for something that's comfortable and unthreatening, but also not too casual that you can't wear them to work. Here, we have this universally recognized thing that is clearly not doing what it was designed for. They also become something different, hanging there like a floating balloon before they come crashing to the ground. As you're putting all of this together, it's hard to miss how this is a reflection of the character you're about to meet. The transition from tranquil nature to chaos, and this common object that's completely out of place, all must be telling us something about this man wearing tidy whitey underwear and a gas mask. You don't know why he's dressed like that or where he's trying to go, but you get a sense that everything you're being shown is part of a puzzle, and that if you can put it all together, it will make sense. There's another unknown character wearing a gas mask passed out in the passenger seat, and two unconscious, possibly dead characters sliding around in the back in the middle of a mess that includes broken glass, money, and some kind of liquid sloshing around. The first answer comes after his mask fogs up and he crashes on the side of the road. After holding his breath to go back inside and grab a gun and a video camera, he starts to leave a message for his family. Despite all this mayhem, he seems to be a family man, and his name is Walter Hartwell White, and you can see that in whatever he was trying to do, things have gone terribly wrong. You have to wait to get all the rest of the answers, but you can tell that this is a man who is as out of place in this situation as his pants were flying through the air. As Siren's approach, it looks as though he's prepared to meet his fate, that he's able to accept his situation, but you can tell that he never thought it would come to this. You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. Let's get cooking, we're back with more Growth Decay Transformation. While Breaking Bad is innovative in many ways, it's still built on a solid foundation of what works best on TV. When asked what he learned about writing from his time at the X-Files, he credited Chris Carter for teaching him the idea of point of view. Especially when dealing with suspense, he says you want to put the audience into the viewpoint of the character whose scene it is. And for a really great example where he plays with this concept for laughs by showing Mulder and Scully giving contrasting accounts of something they experienced through each of their points of view, check out the season 5 episode, Bad Blood. Even though he primarily wrote the episodic Monster of the Week installments there, he had one significant change in mind for Breaking Bad. He wanted his main character to change over the course of the series. you probably heard his much-repeated soundbite of turning Mr. Chips into Scarface, which I guess you get bonus points if you knew who Mr. Chips was the first time you heard that, but essentially they wanted to turn the protagonist, who in this case is an anti-hero who you're rooting for, into a villain. And this could also be influenced by his time working on The X-Files, because that show ran into a problem in that it encouraged viewers to invest in a larger arc that it couldn't really resolve without bringing the show to an end. Fans got enthralled, but never got the satisfying payoff they imagined, and most of them just lost interest in the series as it continued. Through a seemingly inconsequential statement from the main character to his students, Gilligan lays out his intentions for the entire series. When Walt asks them what chemistry is, he says he likes to think of it as the study of change. It's growth, then decay, then transformation. And he ends by saying that it's fascinating, really. This average and almost forgettable teacher is telling us what's about to happen in a way that we'll only be able to understand after that transformation is well underway. Because television at that time wasn't something you could watch on demand like you can now with streaming, most shows stuck to having characters that didn't fundamentally change. The idea was that you could tune into a show and know what to expect even if you missed a few episodes, or even a whole season. This meant that shows were essentially designed to keep going until people lost interest. Commercially that might make some sense, but creatively it's a nightmare. In today's TV landscape, using the run of episodes to transform a character seems like a no-brainer. It's the way that most shows are now structured, but when Gilligan was pitching his idea it was a risky proposition. By all accounts, it probably wouldn't have been made if AMC wasn't new to scripted TV, and liked the script so much that they were willing to take a chance and let him realize his vision with a pretty hands-off approach. In the end, it worked out because it made it perfect for binging by the time Netflix came along and made the first three seasons available for streaming. You, uh, you want to cook crystal meth? You. You and, uh, and me. (laughs) That's right. Wow. Either that or I turn you in. What the Breaking Bad pilot does better than anything else that came before it is it introduces its main character, Walter White. I don't think it's an overstatement to say it does this perfectly. In the first two acts, or about 20 minutes of the episode, we learn most of what we need to know about what kind of human being he is and his motivations. We go back three weeks before the teaser and his crisis in the RV to the morning of his 50th birthday. It was implied that he's a family man, and we meet him where he lives. It's a normal house in an average neighborhood. To quote the original script, Vince Gilligan described it like this, No president ever slept here. No millionaire ever visited. This is a three bedroom rancher in a modest neighborhood. Weekend trips to Home Depot keep it looking tidy, but it'll never make the cover of Architectural Digest. As with his house, there isn't much that's remarkable about Walter. His wife's pregnant with a surprise baby, so even though they seem to have settled into a marriage that isn't exactly spicy, they are at the very least intimate sometimes. His son Walter Jr. has cerebral palsy, which could have been a challenge, but he seems to be well adjusted and otherwise is a typical teenager. There are several indications that money's tight, but they're not on the verge of losing the house or flat out broke. Some of what we see here could hint that his wife is controlling, but most of that doesn't hold up when you get more information. More than anything, it seems like he's somewhat passive and generally disinterested. I think one of the best ways it shows us this is through his sad little stair climber. Nothing says I've let myself go more than a desperate purchase of some exercise equipment that might magically get you back on track. It's described in the script like this. It's Walt balanced on a Lillian Vernon stair stepper. Just three easy payments of $29.95. Walt plods up and down in the darkness like he's marching to Baton. Brian Cranston does an incredible job of bringing this character to life throughout the episode, but the way he drops his head after seeing the one thing that stands out from all this mediocrity screams that there might be something else there. While he's on the stair climber, you see him look at a plaque that's hanging on the wall, which is a recognition for being the project leader on a project that contributed to research awarded the Nobel Prize. That sounds pretty impressive, so does it mean that he's brilliant? Because none of what we're seeing seems to reflect that. All the ingredients for a midlife crisis are there, but he doesn't seem like the type of guy who could follow through with one at this point. Still, after the teaser, you know something is coming, and after you watch him at school where his students don't appear to be interested, and at his demoralizing second job at the car wash where he is embarrassed when he has to clean one of their cars, and at his surprise birthday party where his dickish cop brother-in-law is the center of attention, you get to what his inciting incident is. After passing out at work, he's taken to the hospital where he finds out he's dying of cancer sir. This is a fairly straightforward way to take him from being mostly a schlub to someone that you feel sorry for. As far as you can tell, he's done nothing to bring this on himself. As he's trying to get the EMT to drop him off at a corner somewhere because he's worried about the bill he might get due to his bad insurance, he tells him that he's never been a smoker. He's middle-aged, which is way too young to die, but that's exactly what's happening. This is where Gilligan and crew make an important choice in how they deliver this scene. It would be a really easy place for them to hit an emotional note and make us sympathize with Walt in his sad situation. A classic scene like this might play out with a swelling score that sets you up to get emotional when you see Brian Cranston do the same thing. Instead they withhold that outburst of emotion. It's not because he's incapable of emotion. We've already seen him cry while he was making his goodbye video to his family. It's not because we don't know what he's experiencing, because they actually show us that directly through a point of view shot. In that, we see that he's staring at the doctor's mouth and then focuses in on a mustard stain on his jacket. When it cuts back to his face, it looks like he's lost. He's confused. He can't process what he's hearing, even though he can matter-of-factly repeat the doctor's words back to him lung cancer inoperable best case scenario with chemo i'll maybe live a couple more years this has been deftly set up and is connected to what gilligan said about point of view if you think back to everything you've seen from seeing the 50 made out of veggie bacon which walt jr pointed out smells like band-aids to the birthday party where everyone is focused on hank instead of walt to the shot where he looks up to see chad snapping the picture of him cleaning his cool car to the sad hand job, where his wife is distracted by her eBay auction. Through his point of view, all of these things could feel like injustices. And even if he wouldn't fight for himself, you might feel like fighting for him. My one criticism of the pilot would be that none of the other characters are close to as interesting as Walt, and even can be uninteresting in the case of Hank and Jesse, but it makes sense if I think about this being how Walt sees them. And even if you don't agree with that, it's forgivable since they promptly develop them into complicated characters in the following episodes. In the doctor's office where he's confronted with a real injustice, where for all intents and purposes his life is over, and much too soon at that moment he doesn't know how to react and that's a very human response the choice to have it play out that way takes him from being just sympathetic or even pathetic if you prefer and makes you empathize with him I don't know what it's like to find out I have cancer, thankfully, but I do know what it's like to find myself in a situation where I've just learned something and I have no idea what to do with the information. The scene has always stood out to me, including the first time I watched it, because it made me so much more invested in this character in a way that I wasn't expecting. By the time he changes the subject and points out the mustard stain, I was actively rooting for this guy, which turns out to be really important because of what he does with this information and where the creators are planning on taking him from here. Going back to watch it again, you pick up on so much that contributes to just how effective it is. And it can even help you understand why you might have found yourself wanting this guy to win longer than you probably should have, as most of us did. It cuts from the EMT listening to his lungs in the back of the ambulance, to an overhead shot of him on this table getting a scan where there's all these strange noises that go along with that, To his reflection in the doctor's desk, then up to his bewildered expression with a different ringing sound that makes it impossible to hear what the doctor is saying, it almost feels unreal, which is exactly how Walt is processing his diagnosis. There was some indication that he was sick, but this is all happening so fast that his mind can't catch up, and we're right there with him. Everything in the first half of this episode makes him relatable, and that gets you on his side. And it's kind of amazing how in this short amount of time we bonded with him and are entirely on board to root for him to the point that it'll be hard to stop. In some ways you barely know him. You get a brief glimpse of his passion for chemistry when he's talking to his students, and then later when he's showing Jesse the glassware he stole from the high school. You've seen the plaque hinting that there might be some sort of genius, but don't actually see that he's competent until Jesse declares him an artist after the first cook. And apart from the fact that he thinks he can solve his problem by navigating the criminal underworld, there's not much to indicate an inflated sense of self. This is a show about change. witness him transform over the course of the series into Heisenberg, you see an incredible character arc in the 58 minutes of the pilot. And crucially, we understand why he does the things he does in this episode, because they go to such lengths to show us where he's starting. Middle-aged man supporting a family working two low-paying jobs. Obviously not glamorous, but apparently a good person doing what he has to do to take care of his family. At the same time, it shows us what's missing. What he's missing in his life and then we get the inciting incident that propels him to break bad a death sentence there's a point where marie asks skyler if walt is experiencing a midlife crisis which is a good guess since that's the way it looks from the outside but it's actually an end of life crisis and we're in on the secret since no one else knows about it yet When change follows that and he makes that absurd choice to make some easy money manufacturing drugs in a way that surely no one will ever get hurt, we're primed to overlook it. When he starts his partnership with Jesse by threatening his freedom right from the start, you barely notice and are way more likely to remember the humor that they smartly use to temper the darkness throughout the series. Everyone remembers the cowhouse, but the beginning of Walt's descent feels more like the fallout from a bad decision, instead of feeling like we're watching a person embrace their darker side. It's not a decision you would make, but you can understand his motivation. And you not only believe that he's doing it for his family, but also that he believes that too. Even when he attacks the teenagers you think no one should really be doing something like that, but in this case they definitely deserved it. Even when he uses his chemistry skills to kill, and especially when he takes control in that closing scene with Skylar, it all starts to feel like a victory. There's a difference between an anti-hero and a villain. He is an anti-hero at the end of this episode, but not yet a full-blown villain. He'll eventually get there, and by the end of the series we see all of his villainy. The seeds are there, they're planted, so we'll be able to go back and see them in hindsight. But they go by unnoticed. And that's the genius of the writing, and especially the acting on Brian Cranston's part in this episode. We understand why he does things even though we wouldn't do them ourselves, and we're invested in wanting to see him win. And that's why it still rules even after all these years. It's a self-contained story that shows change and delivers resolution that also serves as a compacted version of the larger story we're about to watch play out over the next 61 episodes. Courtney and I look forward to going through all of them together, and we hope that you'll join us. If you want to leave feedback, drop us a line at breakingbadgdt at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at BreakingBadGDT. And if you'd like to help support us and listen to these episodes ad-free, you can find us on Patreon. I'll be joined again by Courtney on Monday for our next episode and hope that you'll join us again. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.